Hey out there, I'm John. It's a Johnny W-less episode of Talk About That. I have another co-host with me today, the beautiful, the lovely, the brilliant Laura Driver. Hey, babe. I'm back. It's been a while since you've been on. It's been a long time. I know. And we want everyone to know, we talk about this off the air, that this is not because we've held you out. I've actually invited you plenty of times, but you do work a job, a real job in our family. Someone has to. Whatever. I was driving the ratings down, and so I've been sequestered. You're actually usually our highest (laughs) downloaded episode. Uh, Johnny is uh, very selfish and on vacation. Darn him. I I wish I was on vacation. Man, I, I said that. Was I? I was reading a book this morning in the bed with Sadie and well, and someone else we're going to talk about here in a second, and you. And I was like, man, I wish, because just the interruptions are just so many. Endless. They're just endless. I was like, gosh, I just, I just wish I was on a beach right now reading this uninterrupted. So, but Johnny, um, we miss you, and uh, we're a little angry with you. So. And I'm not near as funny, so I apologize. Oh, you're plenty funny. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. Well, I mean, you know, again, we don't have a comedian today on the episode, but we do have a humorist uh, and a humorist's wife. So, what is <laughs> that? Your... Is the weirdest title ever? <laughs> not like the preacher's wife, the humorist's uh, wife. And I don't. I'm not really a humorist. So, uh, there is a big event that's happened in the driver household that we should probably. Uh, this will be something you can Instagram about when we release this episode, that everybody can see. Because there's no way to talk about what this is without seeing it. You know what I'm saying? That is true. So Sadie turned 11 on Monday of this week, and do you want to tell them? What you've been doing for the last six months, every night in the bed on the phone? So for a long time, I have been looking for a new addition to our house. Uh, Sadie has really, really wanted a dog of her own. Brutus was obviously our dog and in our family before she was born. And so sometimes her feelings get a little hurt that he does not play with her, you know, show the same kind of affection to her, although he's great with her. That he does with the but two he's, of he's us. But he's 14. Yeah, but yeah. he's 14. <laughs> and honestly, she was a little terror to him when she was a baby, oh, you know, pulling and tugging. And he's so good with her. Um, maybe we should at some point also post the video of her using Brutus as baby Moses and oh. pushing him around the house in a basket. So Brutus has been... Um, very, very good to Sadie, but she wanted a dog of her own. So for months, I have been searching for a dog that is the kind that we want with markings and colorings that we want and that is also available to come home basically on her birthday. And I managed to find the most perfect puppy that was able to come home on Monday on her birthday. Yeah, it's been like puppy watch. I mean, you've, you're like email or texting the breeder all the time trying to get new pictures and everything and not been, nude pictures not, well he is nude the, new the, the, pictures. Not, not the breeder <laughs> the dog the dog is nude but uh, he's six weeks old he is six weeks old so was he and he was six weeks old on her birthday on right? her birthday yeah. like he was able to come home on that day so we had a volleyball practice that morning say and i went and then you got in the car and drove all the way to beth page is that where yeah, it was beth page um and drove there and back and managed to do it all in time, even with a massive wreck on 109, and get home and put the dog in a basket and surprise Sadie. Yeah, and that was, we need to probably, well, a lot of posting. You're way better at social media than me, I'm Yeah, sorry. but everybody, I mean, like, literally everybody has already seen well, that maybe video. Not our, maybe not all of our listeners, though. Well, that's true. So we put the basket, like a picnic basket, on the table. I brought Sadie in from practice, and it was like this... It was like this surreal moment for her. First, she couldn't get the basket open, so we had to help her do that. And then when she opened it, I think she thought it was like a teddy bear. She did. Well, she was expecting um, a Polaroid camera. That's what she's been asking for. And so that's what she was expecting. And so when she opened the basket, and this dog is just beautiful and fluffy and tiny, but he does look stuffed. And so he reminds me of one of those alpaca teddy bears I brought yeah. home from Bolivia. Like totally <laughs> yeah. that is that same really fluffy fur, really silky yeah. and his markings are beautiful. And so and he was perfectly still and not <laughs> making any noise, which was weird. Was but I think in a crate for well, him. and the drive, you know, tired in him out and. 
tired him out. That was <laughs> tired a, him out. That was terrible. <laughs> um, and so he was just laying in there, and I don't think she knew what to think because I don't think she knew that it was a live puppy. And I think that like we literally, it's 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 hard to do, but she was genuinely like completely snowed. She had no. Idea. Oh no, no clue, and she normally has a clue. Yeah, no clue. So when she touched it, like she jumped back. Yeah, it was a, you, you know. see her hand like pull back, almost like she'd been snake bit. Yeah, and it was like, oh my gosh, gosh, it's a puppy, you know. And then she just kind of stood there, like it's a puppy. Said, well, honey, pick it up. Yeah, you know? she didn't have a clue what <laughs> she, to do. She was in such shock. She was in shock. Well done. You did a great job. Thanks, Mama. Mom of, of the year, year for at least twenty four hours. Well, it was, <laughs> well, but then after that began the great we've never had a dog that young no because brutus was what 12 weeks when we got him i think so something like and that. we have no recollection we've realized this week of anything about it he's just an easy dog he just is no it's what one of my friends said it's kind of like after you you know had a baby you don't really remember how terrible it was in the beginning <laughs> yeah and so it's been interesting like i you, I had to turn to you yesterday and go, was, was it Sadie's birthday this week? I know. Because it felt like we've week. had this dog for three weeks because you and I have not slept. No. Knew not. We actually slept some last night for the first time. Yes, that is because we kicked crate training to the curb for a few weeks until he is older and um, his bladder is more developed and we can sleep more than an hour and a half consecutively. His name is Ace, by the way. Yes. Which is a perfect volleyball player's dog's name. Perfect. Uh, or tennis player, because it's both. Right. Ace. Right. She could, I guess, migrate over to that sport. But Ace uh, gets up every, like, two a- hours. Hour and a half. Or so. And so we want to talk about, we should probably deal with our marriage here on in front of everybody. Because you're yawning right now. Oh, man. Our energy level, not high. But the deal is, um, I have kind of been feigning a little... um, No, you've not been feigning. You've just been griping. I've been like, hey, I got a dog. You know, I got Brutus. I'm really, I'm a loyalist. I'm an Enneagram 6. I'm a loyalist. And so I really love my dog. And I, and know, I love Brutus. Almost to the point of denial that he's getting older, you know? Yes, like, you've been in denial for a long time. Because he's got a lot. He's doing well. He is. He could be doing a lot worse. This I mean, is He can't true. see very well or hear very well. We don't really know. I think he may just be ignoring us. <laughs> that may be true. <laughs> because I'm not sure this whole time I've been kind of uh, chalking everything up to him, uh, you know, not being able to see or hear. But the way he's treating this puppy, I think maybe he just... He, <laughs> he's just old and cantankerous a little bit. Kind of like a child. It's selective hearing. He's like a he's like a canine curmudgeon. Anyway, <laughs> uh, a crunine mudgeon. Anyway, so uh, when he so I was like, hey, well, this is going to be your dog. You know, I'm kind of playing that, even though we don't really do that. Like, if one of yeah, us, and you took one look at the puppy and fell in love. No, I mean he's he's pretty darn cute, and he does come right to me and wants to kiss all over my face and stuff. You know, like yeah, he's, he's in love. I think he kind of likes me, too. He's kind of fond. I mean, but the deal is, though, the first time it's time to get up at 2 a.m., like that first night, you you did all of that. I was, did, was, like a champ. It was very much like we both knew that you did this to us, you know, so <laughs> like, okay, but I'm awake. I mean, I'm waking up for it all, and, and uh, so the second night, it was kind of like a, oh, you know, I was like, I'm still kind of complaining. And I think a point was hit where you were frustrated with me because of my incessant complaining about it to, to other people. everyone. Yeah. And then it's like, was, somebody like, oh, the dog's cute. Yes, but he kept me up all night. <laughs> that was a dead on impression. It was like I was sitting right here. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know why I was doing that. I'm sort of, I am pretty tired. Like that was part of it. But I'm not truly being that grumpy. It was kind of like a, yeah, he's cute, but, you know, kind of thing. Uh, and it was kind of true, too, though. Like, we just don't go well without sleep anymore. No, we do not. And so by night three, after I had repented, do you want to tell everybody I repented to you? You did. You were so contrite. I did. I was like, you know what? Okay, I've been given a hard time. I've, I've taken it too far. We're in this together. I'll get up with a dog tonight, that kind of thing, you know. But you wake up, too, if I get up with a dog. Oh, worse yeah. than me. Do you want my coffee, babe? No, Would you like some? I don't. Okay. I had a Coke. All I right. mean, it's working. I can tell. And so uh, this is the first time today I've been still. <laughs> this is the first time we've sat down in chairs. <laughs> so wow. And so, uh, literally by like night four, 
everything that I was complaining about, you because I told you after night two, I was like, we can't do this. Like, I can't do this. I'm, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm not going to function well. And that kind of upsets you. Then night four, you were like, we can't do this. Like, <laughs> I just needed to come around to your way of thinking. <laughs> so that's when we uh, abandoned the crate. We saw the crate and use it. Yeah. And we're everything's fine. We met with a dog trainer today. She actually told us what we're doing is the right thing for now. We were going to do it whether she said that or not. Yes. But, but it it's nice. really nice yeah. to be validated I by love, a professional. Love when somebody tells me what I'm doing, but my way is right. That's great. If only somebody would do that with our parenting. No kidding. We have nobody to do that. No, because the grandparents, man, she gets away with everything. She does get away with everything. Um, and they don't remember. I don't think they remember what it was like to be no. parents. I mean, they remember like stuff that we did. Oh, yeah. But they don't like remember the feeling of it every day. But I'm I sure. think being a grandparent is kind of like your reward for making it through parenting, especially my brother. Making it through parenting my brother, like, they deserved some grandchildren. Me, on the other hand, I was perfect. Oh, you were perfect, <laughs> yeah. That's what that's what they say. It is supposed, it is like in the, so Laura's family's, her, her maiden name is Canada. So in the Canada family tradition, like, Greg Canada, her brother, like, it's almost folklore, apparently, how wild and crazy he was. And he really wasn't. That's what's so funny about it. And was he really not? How am I supposed to know this? You guys are talking around the table every time. Like I mean, he, he was. was a boy, and so there's one boy and one girl, so the boy's more rambunctious. Are we just going to gender stereotype everybody the whole day? Is no, that we're he of, is a boy. Of course uh, not. I'm I is a boy. saying, compared to me, he was probably a little more... Now you're stereotyping yourself. Active. You weren't active? You were reading books. I was a, and I'm still a nerd. Yeah. We realized this week how much of a nerd that we actually are when we're sitting around talking about the TV shows that we watch with, yeah. I mean, in all circles, not just like our close friends. I mean, everybody. It's like, oh, what are you watching? And we're like, Ken Burns documentaries Ooh, on Ken the Burns. Dust Bowl. Yeah. And people look at us like we're crazy. Oh, yeah. Dust Bowl's really good. It is really good. Yeah. like, And, and I have to confess to the audience uh, that, uh, well, first of all, you may not. Uh, I think the Dust Bowl is a lesser known thing in American history because it really gets eclipsed by the Great Depression. Right. And so, I mean, I was a history teacher and knew about the Dust Bowl. But I really, when we read the description, when it said the most devastating man-made ecological disaster in American history. It's like man-made. Like I just thought it was a drought that happened at the bad timing, you know. Right. Uh, and it was a drought that, yes. that happened. But it's been a fascinating. And what I can't figure out is where Ken Burns gets all these pictures. I, of all the documentaries. I mean, obviously, like the, his Civil War ones have photogra- a lot of photographs yeah. and then a lot of reenactment. But most of what we're seeing in the Dust Bowl is l- interviews with survivors, um, you know, people who were kids at the time, and then just video after video and photograph. And it's not um, reproduced. It's not a replica. It is live footage. It's crazy. Oh, it's crazy. If you could see, if you haven't seen it, go on, is it, it's Amazon, right? Yeah, it's on Amazon Prime, but it may be on Netflix Uh, as well. Look up Ken Burns Dust Bowl, and I'm telling you guys. Or maybe on PBS, even like PBS.org, they probably have a lot of it. If you see, there's like three mile high black clouds. It's crazy. dust that for for 10 years. They would, these storms would blow in almost every day. It would it would almost bury their houses. It would cover their doorways. That's it's how high no, it was. I mean, it's no wonder that they thought it was like apocalyptic because yeah. it was crazy looking. Yeah, they thought it was the end of the world. Like it's at some point you could walk up on top of your roof and it was dust. And even if it wasn't that high all the time, it covered your plates. It covered the kids would wake up. That remember the one said she woke up and the only place in her whole bed that didn't have dust was where her head was laying. Yeah, it's just ugh. and as somebody who likes things kind of oh, neat gosh. and tidy and I mean, like I just I don't know. I want to use this now because you know sometimes you'll be like this house is really it's when you get overwhelmed yes. with everything. So the house is something, and I do the same thing. I do it with the garage or the car. When I'm really, really overwhelmed, it's like, you know what? Enough is enough. I'm going to control something. And I'm oh, going sure. to take control of something. And that's what you do with the house. But when you get to that place, in your mind, 
It is like literally. We are, it's dust bowl proportions. It's like we're living in a garbage <laughs> dump or something. You're like, this place is out of control. So I'm going to remind you. I'm going to start leaving pictures out. Like, hey, this is what out of control looks like. Dust bowl. You know what we're living in. Yeah, but that's no. <laughs> you're not going to. You're not going to let no, that work. That's uh, not going to work. We have discovered that I approach things from a different perspective than you, and it makes marriage or very fun. most people. What? I don't think that's true. Maybe. Maybe yeah. most normal people. Yes. Yeah. I, we, I think the most liberating thing, we were talking to somebody the other day about it, and, and I understand everybody, look, can I, just, can I just call you out? I just want to call everybody out who's listening. Oh, I thought you meant me in well, particular. No, I'm not, yeah, I don't have, you know, maybe, maybe later. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> take you out. <laughs> so we are cooking wings tonight, so. Take me out like. Take me out like I'm going to take you no, out. Like on a date. Or like, I'm going <laughs> to take, take you, you out. out. <laughs> <laughs> Those are two yeah. very different very things. Very different. Very different. Um, like, I want to call out people who just for no reason, because I was this guy. So I totally understand it. I do. I get, I get it. But I'm on a mission to eye roll less in life, like roll my eyes less at things. But if, if when we're going to say the word Enneagram, you're like, oh, my God, here it goes again. And you go into that country, Kentucky guy in your head. I never go into that guy. In I think head. everybody has it in some form or fashion. Like you're just in that place where this don't apply to me. You can't change who you are anyway. Zebra can't change his stripes. Tiger can't change his stripes. <laughs> Doesn't he have stripes too? Yeah, you meant leopard, leopard in his spots. spots. I don't know. <laughs> I don't really do uh, colloquialisms, which that little callback from the other yeah. day. But – the the deal is, I was I was kind of wrong about that. Like, here's the deal: if I would have explored the enneagram and then found it to be worthless to me, then I can say those things, and that would be valid. Like, I'm okay right. with that. If you go, you know what? Read the book, not for me. Listen to ten podcasts, kind of explored it, not for me. Doesn't work. Like, I, I can respect that. It's when we come to the place in modern life where we've literally seen something on Facebook or heard somebody mention it, and we're just already sick of it because everyone else is talking about it, and we're just kind of – it's just too cool for school. And so that's kind of what I did. You were bringing this around. I was like, yeah, you can't – I'm too complicated and special. You can't put me in a box with one number. Like, you know, I had all those – I didn't say it like that, but that's really what it was. And you were like, yeah, your number's the one that thinks it's too complicated and special to be put into a box with one number, which well, technically had to be a four. four yeah. But the six has trouble – you know, feeling like they're being pegged, you know. Um, so I would just encourage you, like, open your mind a little bit to, to those things because, for example, I said I'll have to say this. Where is this going? What's this going, got to do with the dirty house? It's going to the dirty house because I came to a place intellectually where I would put pictures, I would have pictures on my phone to show you, hey, this is the Dust Bowl. You're in an emotional place where you think we're living in a pigsty. We're going to clean it up, but just realize it could be this much worse. So I have this, like, intellectual path that leads me to affect our lives and it really doesn't matter to you no if i showed that picture you don't process things first through your mind this is true you process first through your heart yes through through how you emotion right and so when we realize by the way that's an enneagram thing yeah it has to do with the triad that you're in yep so tell us which triads are heart so a eight nine and one are in the gut triad um Gut is also an emotional reaction, but it is... Um, it's very visceral, right? It's more visceral, yeah. yeah. Um, sometimes more associated with... In, has a negative connotation, but like if you think about just the difference between anger and rage, that's kind of the difference between heart and gut. Right. Um, so eight, nine, and one are in the gut triad. Then two, three, and four are in the triad of the heart or the emotional triad. And then five, six, and seven are in the head or intellect. Right, and we all have gut reactions, and we all have we heart all emotions. We all have all three. It is one is dominant. Then, by definition, if one thing is dominant, then something else, you know, has to be repressed. Yeah. So you have a dominant one, a repressed one, and then one that you kind of average out. Right, and I'm telling you, we were t- you had uh, friends over the other night, and we were talking about this. The most revolutionary thing for me in all the Enneagram study in terms of the way for for our marriage. Oh, just in, in interaction yeah, with each other. With each yeah. other. Like for myself, I've learned so much. But to learn that you approach things from a feeling place and mm-hmm. I approach things – well, first. You approach yeah, it first because, I mean, you're you're a great thinker. There's no doubt. Oh, well, thanks. I mean, you're brilliant. <laughs> and, and we – 
think alike, believe it or not. I mean, we, we get each other in that. There's usually not a problem or an issue that we can't you know, get through to the other one through dialogue or other things. So it's not like we – some people just see the world completely differently. But it's not that we – we see the world pretty much the same. You feel the world differently yeah. than I do. And, and that when – I, when I discovered that because I realized all of these years – and and I really so just by the way for marriage, like if you if you don't have arguments in marriage, then something's wrong. Something I mean, is wrong. <laughs> you, you need to. It's a part of it, and it can be healthy with the right boundaries. It's something we talk about a lot when we do premarital counseling and other things. And we're not talking about it as specialists or experts. We're talking about it just as people who've been married almost twenty years. Well, and who are still figuring it out yeah. every single day, and still make mistakes all the time and those things. But I think a lot of our best growth has happened out of very difficult conversations. Sure, uh, especially when we can stay in the right boundaries and get through to the end and not bail on it. Or say something that now is the new focus of the conversation right. that's not about the original thing. Um, but I realized when we when I'm having tension with you uh, in those moments, it's usually over this issue. It's that I am intellectually – we had a little tension this week over something like that. We were. I was very, very stressed. I'm on a manuscript deadline. Oh yeah. Um, I'm, I'm I'm working at church a lot, and I was at a place. You were having a very, very stressful day. So you know, now we're just adding these various ingredients to to the pot of what could happen. And for me, when I'm stressed, it helps me to like ask a lot of questions to get all the information I can. Well, about, and you verbally process. Yeah, so too. that I can know everything that's required of me, so that I don't let you down. <laughs> that I don't miss something. I don't support you when I should have, and I don't get home from whatever I'm doing, and you're and now you've just been abandoned. I've just been down that road where I have abandoned you, not knowing it, and so I ask, you know, okay, where have you been? What are you doing? And like, what? Well, then you feel you're not in a place to process, you know, that level at a moment of your stress. Like you feel like I'm giving an inquisition for what you said. I'm not going to speak for you. Yeah, no, like sometimes because you're a verbal processor in. When you want like all these details that honestly don't matter, it's like detail for detail's sake. Sometimes it feels like an inquisition. And see, and that I think that was telling what you just said to you. They don't matter, right? Right. I mean, well, for because, real, for you, they really don't matter. But in that circumstance, they really didn't matter because it was where I had been for the last hour. Didn't have anything to do with things moving forward. I can't remember even what it was. Where were you for the last hour? Oh, I, I don't I don't know. I don't know. Whatever it was for me, it mattered. I don't know. Right. It felt like I needed it, to understand. It, because you were confused about, because I varied a pattern from what you thought I would normally do. Uh, and the fact that I varied my pattern was not okay to you without a detailed explanation. Yeah. Instead of me just saying it was more convenient for me to do it the way I did it, that wasn't sufficient. You needed an explanation as to why right. for whatever reason. Right, which drove you nutty. Yes, yeah. and I let you know. But it's all because... You are feeling your way through yes. a stressful moment, and I'm thinking my way through a stressful moment. Yes. And when I realize that you don't – and I just thought, by the way, everybody did that. Nope. Enneagram haters, that's the next thing for you that's so amazing about about whether it's this or something else. When you really begin – I know if you were asked intellectually, does everybody think the same way? You'd say, of course not. But we instinctively kind of feel – Everybody around us is seeing it exactly through the same lens that we see it. They may be seeing it differently, but at least they they approach it from the same angle. It Even, would be like if you could somehow you know, and, and people use the glasses analogy all the time and people say like, "Oh, like if you look through at the world through purple lenses or, you know, pink or whatever." I think it's more than that. I think it would literally be like if I could put on um you know, somebody else's glasses who is nearsighted and, you know, had cataract surgery or whatever. I think it's that distinct. Like if I could literally change the way my vision works so that it's either distorted or clearer based on how that person has to operate in the world. It's really more like that, more than just like, oh, it's a little pink tinted or a little blue tinted. No, it is literally night and day difference. Right. And if you guys see Laura at a nursing home stealing some little old lady's glasses and running out with them, now you know what happened. <laughs> it's so. because I'm trying to learn. <laughs> <laughs> but no, you're right. I mean, it's if it, and so when I learned that, because I was insulted 
like that that's why we fight i'm insulted like in my mind i'm like hey you get this in my mind you're seeing this like me you're just being you know obstinate you're just you yeah know. when you think sometimes when people don't come around to your way of thinking immediately because you've now presented a logical argument that they're being stubborn it may just be that their emotions or their gut hasn't caught up to your logic right. and or the fact that the logic is still not strong enough to overcome the either the emotion or the gut. Or, or even more importantly, probably the logic hasn't been thought about long enough to get to that end point. Yeah, yeah. but it may not ever right. get to that point with somebody who truly operates um, – emotionally or you know from the gut and it's interesting for me as a two in times of stress I moved to an eight so I go from heart to gut I don't ever go into a number in times of growth stress etc that is in the the right. head triad yeah you don't ever get you don't mm-hmm. ever go there no because where do four, you go as positive positive is a four, four. You- I get stiller more contemplative. Um, fours obviously want, um, fours are the people in the world who don't mind pain. They don't mind sitting in discomfort. Um, being even a, a little bit morose can be a positive thing for them. A lot of artists are that way because they can access that, um, more creative side that more contemplative side for me it's hard to be still my problem as a two is that i often am unwilling to do that and access those feelings in myself because i'm too busy feeling everybody else's feelings right yeah you know what makes me think that you're not going to know this reference at all you're going to guys i'm sorry but there was an old star trek movie like captain kirk star trek movie where they went to the ends of the universe and supposedly found God. They had like this holy man and it was actually an alien. It was like this – it had all these religious undertones. It was really weird and it wasn't really God and the planet was just a place that the alien was trying to escape on their ship and all this stuff. So I just remember this moment where – because it was kind of like all these Vulcan mind melds were happening where he would – he really would – this holy guy would like heal people's emotions – because he'd help you get in touch with your pain, basically. Oh, yeah. And so I remember Captain Kirk when he tried to do it to him because he's a tough guy. He was like, "I need my pain." Like, right. That, that's a four, you know, yeah. reaction. No, it is absolutely. Like, yeah. Yep. Any Trekkies out there? I just made your day. You yeah, probably. Sorry. I'm going to get a bunch of I'm a bunch not. of tweets though about what episode it was. I don't know the Voyage Beyond or something. I don't know what it was. The only Star Trek I ever watched glimpse into my childhood, um, and I was probably ooh. Maybe late elementary school, sixth grade, maybe or maybe even early, uh, like middle school, seventh, eighth grade. Um, what was the Star Trek with Will Wheaton? That was Next Generation. Okay, yeah. those were the only ones I watched, well, but that I'm was sure. because I had a mild crush on Will Wheaton. And now he's a character on he's Big Bang Theory. So weird. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Oh. Will Wheaton. You know, it's funny though. I spent we spent all those years in youth ministry, and and this is why it's so revolutionary for me. Is when I say I just assume you're you're seeing the world like me, and that you're just kind of you're just kind of being mean. You know that's why. Why? why okay, I just made a clear cut. Like there's definitive n- argument. Definitive argument. Like there's no way it can be. It, you're not even trying to. You're just you're saying you're not trying to dispute it. You're just refusing to acknowledge its you know validity, and that's when I just again I get that that drives me to the edge with people, and I realize that goes back to ministry for me. All these years, I've really instinctively believed if I could explain it well enough that it would really change people's, not just minds, but that it would lead them to a place where God could change their hearts. Um, And I'll sit in a a counseling time or whatever, and and that's one of the reasons I think I became so intent on trying to learn more, trying to learn how these things work and having experiences. I'm a counterphobic. So if, if somebody comes in and I don't know what the answer is, I look forward to this experience. 
because I'm gonna, I'm gonna trust in God. I'm gonna you know lean into His Word the best I can, and I'm gonna give every bit of wisdom I can to try to talk it out with them and find it. And I learn from that. So the next time I'll, I mean, after a while, you almost have this portfolio of experiences in your mind of I can draw from and you begin to get confident that, hey, I can give answers to people who are in trouble. And that's a good feeling from a counseling perspective. But then we reached a place where when people still, again, that same feeling of insult and it's not just insult, it's a feeling of helplessness. Like I have given what's needed here. I've given what's needed here. And still you're you know, in that destructive behavior or still you are leaving the church or still you are denying faith or still. And I'm just like, it does, it just really makes my my blood boil or makes me go to a really dark place until I begin to realize, hey, well, first of all, I begin to realize I'm not Jesus. That was a great realization. That's a good revelation. I mean, I always knew it technically, but that like, it's not really my job. Although it is my job to, um, you know, scripture says that, that we are to make a defense of the faith and, and we are to, uh, you know, speak with the weak and, and, and help the disciple. There's a place and role for all that. But when I begin to worry less about the outcomes, um, I mean, you have to worry about the outcome or you don't care about people. So like there's this weird balance, but I begin to not take full ownership of the complete outcome of everybody's life beyond what I think is scripturally mine to do as a shepherd or as a, as a brother to, to people. Um, it was such a freeing place, but that Enneagram thought process of going, Hey, everybody's not going to, um, everyone's not going to listen to a message that I give for 40 minutes on a Sunday morning where I really try to take you to an intellectual place that I, I doubt that our modern church culture, if they're from an evangelical background have been before that I'm learning and discovering and it opens up new things in me. I just have to be okay with the fact that it's not going to open up new things in everybody. Right. Someone's going to walk up and go, wow. And someone else is going to be like, wow, why did he do that? Was he just trying to show off today? You know, cause they just don't react from that intellectual place as their first go to. Right. Well, and I think that part of that, you know, if you use the Enneagram as a, tool and it is just that it's only a tool the enneagram is not god the enneagram is not jesus um but you start to realize that michael scott was here he'd say you're a tool (laughs) there are characteristics um in all of us that are reflective of all the different points on the map but then there are also distinct um personalities or um traits or characteristics of God himself that sort of, I think of it as almost like, you know, receptors that those characteristics of God plug into those places where we are lacking. And in that is where, um, you know, we can use this tool to help find um, fulfillment because where where we're lacking is the places that he um, has the most ability to work in our lives because all of our strengths, the, our biggest strengths are also our biggest weaknesses. So uh, that that's kind of where I like that Enneagram is a tool. No, absolutely. And I think a lot of people are resistant to ideas of anything like this because even in religious circles, because if you approach this from a place of, I'm going to use this tool to fix myself, then yeah, it ain't, it's not going to work. Like that's, that's not the thing. Um, I, discovering more about myself, it, I need I need that relationship with Christ so much more. I know where to lean in because I know what you call my recipes better and better. Every, right. it, with each passing year, I learn more and more about. In fact, you know them so well for me, and that's the great thing about marriage or, sure. or community is you know when the five things are all happening at once that might cause me to go to a depressant place or, or go to. Um, a place where I, if, if you're an Enneagram person, I go to the negative side of a three. And, and, and there's kind of similar to a negative side of the eight in some ways in how sure. we, we treat a situation, which is why, why it's hilarious when we're both stressed. Because the negative side of the three for me is, is I slam my hand on the table and say, hey, everybody, this isn't working and this is how we're going to do it. And I take over to, to get everything back to equilibrium. But I become almost like a dictator um, because I, I, I want to... I can't take this is out of alignment and nothing's working and no one's doing anything about it. Sure. So then I when I'm when I'm insecure. Um, I think though you know that's kind of one of the, a little bit of the misnomer too with the whole stress and growth thing. Stress sometimes it's better to think of it as like your 
uh, fight or flight response yeah. a little bit. Um, sometimes our stress, where we move in stress is a positive thing. It's not always a negative thing because it's like basically kind of kicking us out of our own inertia. So it's, you know, I just don't want people to think that it's always like you're neg, like I'm stressed, like physically stressed, emotionally stressed, mentally stressed. So then I moved to this really low side negative. There is that aspect, but there's also the aspect of, Hey, it's kicking me out of my normal patterns yeah. so that I can actually accomplish something, get something done. Um, so there are times that, that we always think of the word stress as negative, and right. it isn't always. Right, and maybe much Stre- like the— Catalyst might be sometimes a, a word. better word. So anyway, that's just kind of a nugget. I, there's so much stuff out there about— there's so much inaccuracy, I think, well, and, and I'm so far from being an expert, but there's like these people who just kind of like barely scratch the surface kind of with their understanding like, oh, I'm a one and a seven and a six and a three. And it's like, you no, you can't do right. that. Um, so anyway, I just wanted to throw that out there for anybody who is kind of exploring it. Make sure that you really dig into the details of what it means to move in times of stress or to move in times of health. That sometimes it's a little bit like fight or flight. Both things are absolutely necessary. Um, but that stress, we tend to think of it as a negative word and it right. isn't always. It may not be something to always be avoided or try to because to your point – there's a lot of times that I, I don't just slam my hands down on the table. There's a lot of times I approach it as a strong leader, like right. I'm, I'm helping the team forward. For you as a six, sometimes it helps kick out the committee that's in your head to come to a solid conclusion. Because yeah. threes also have the ability to kind of shape shift and morph. So it sort of is like, okay, I, I'm done shape shifting. I've now made a decision. Act on it. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's – uh, I agree. It gets me out of my head a little bit. Which, yeah. by the way, speaking of head, I, I, I didn't read this to you. <laughs> We're going to work it all – work everything out in marriage right here on this podcast. But I've been reading a lot of books lately, and you're reading books all the time. And I apologize publicly that when I just see something that just jumps out at me, I have to share it with you. I just have to share it. I have to interrupt your whole process. Literally, you will interrupt. I will have been reading for 15 <laughs> minutes. Hey, 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 hey. And I'm like, really? I just want to read this one thing. So I know. This one, this one thing. And then 10 minutes later, it's another one thing. And then five minutes after that, it's another. I don't know why I bother to read. I know. I'm sorry. Again, verbal processing. But I just enjoy sharing it with you. It makes, it, it, makes it more so real. I'm so glad that you do. But I was reading in uh, uh, The Divine Conspiracy, Dallas Willard, which is not a short read. I've been reading this for a no. bit. Like, this is a wow. And I know it's a classic and all those things. But he made an interesting observation, speaking of, of thinking and intellectual things, that he, he goes through like postmodernism and, and what's happened in, in the, the mindset to believe that rational thinking and action in the modern age can fix everything. And we even have... have inadvertently within faith sometimes created a Christianity that really doesn't, that can, can have a Jesus or can leave him out. It kind of can work the same with or without him. You don't really need him because if you try harder, if you learn more, if you, you know, it's that, right. it's that, that gospel of sin management. Um, you don't really need us. I mean, yes, you need a savior for heaven, but you don't really need one for earth. <laughs> right. Know? Like you can, you can get this if we all just build better communities and serve the poor better and we, you know, all of these good things. And then we use, he's really in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter five, as kind of how we've taken that, that proof text, uh, to our own gain and to prove the things that we want to say about it. So when we say, blessed are the poor in spirit, and this is the one that got me, um, he was like, and that's how I've preached it. That's how I've heard it my whole life or interpreted. Like we've made poor in spirit somehow a positive thing that we get to do. Like that means humility is what that means. Blessed are the poor in spirit uh, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And the whole point of what he's saying is not that at all. Like actually everything Jesus said was that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, meaning it's here. Right now. Right now through me. And like the kingdom of heaven is not, yes, heaven is a place, but it's not merely a place. 
Right. You know, that place is not, even though Jesus went up in the clouds, that place is here in another place that you just can't see. Like it's all around. And so, and especially when I'm near, the kingdom of heaven is here and that this kingdom is available to everybody. That really was his point. Like it's, it's available. He was, he was turning over the tables of the social constructs because it was such, it was such a religious caste system among the Jewish people, especially. That's why they were so upset with Jesus for eating with the tax collectors or eating with the prostitutes. Like this is all unclean. You know, you can't do this. And so Jesus was revolutionary. That's when they would respond. You begin to read it with that lens, which I think is closer to the original lens of what it's supposed to be. You begin to see how upset they are over those things. But what we've done with it in the modern context is be like, blessed are the poor in spirit. So let me teach you all how to be poor in spirit today. But what he's really saying is, is the nobodies, like those who don't know, and he even goes and quotes Paul when he talks about there's neither slave nor free nor male or female, Gentile, Jew. It, and he says barbarian or Scythian. It's a S-C-Y-T-H-I-A-N. And he says the Scythians, that was a really important thing he added because to the, to the people then, it was like the barbarian's barbarian. Like they were the least of all people in terms of what they would do and, and how um, – this almost like savage practices and because they, that's what they really did. So it, for us, we read that. We don't even know what it means. Right. You know, and for him, he's saying, no, there's none of these things like the kingdom of heaven is near to all of those people in by faith in Christ near to all. And he goes on then to say, and that's my whole point of the thinking part. He goes on to say that we, because we don't get that dismiss Jesus as not being intellectual. Like if you say, he even says, ask, ask a believer today, a, a college professor at a Bible college, maybe, or a seminary. I don't think he said that. I said that. If you ask them who are the greatest, who are the greatest thinkers that you really would go to? Oh, they're going to give you Luther. and Right. Yeah. They're not going to name Jesus in it because he almost appears, when you're looking through that lens, like he's too holy for life walking around. What's what we've done to his words, even through the translations. And like the Sermon on the Mount doesn't seem to connect. Because it's like, okay, like, if we're, like I was going to do a sermon series. This is great. as a teaching pastor. A sermon series on this. What I would do is, okay, well, there's seven things. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. All right, Andrew, you take week one, hunger and thirst after righteousness. And we may do this. But what we've done then is, is it is almost as if it doesn't have a central theme, which if I had a sermon with a bunch of points that didn't have a central theme, I'm not, I'm not very good at it. <laughs> but the point is, he said this all in one sitting to one group of people. And the central theme was, is he was breaking down the social constructs and he was doing it in a brilliant intellectual way that they understood. Like right. they, they got what he was saying, but we don't. And so he, he really challenged that, like, would you really want a savior who you didn't think was smart hmm. and that people don't think Jesus is very smart. He's I don't just, guess I've ever really thought about he's it. He's just kind of floating around saying things that he, you can't understand. He's, he's almost wrestling with his own identity, you know, because you know, whether he's divinity or humanity, wrestling with the cross and just kind of saying all these weird proverbs the whole time in isolation from one another. And so when we look to intellectual engagement with faith, we look past the smartest one. In fact, historians, even non-believing historians, are like, oh my gosh, Jesus literally turned the social construct of the entire world historically upside down. Whether you believe him to be the son of God or not, what other movement? There are very few things that have right. lasted 2,000 years that have on this kind of level uh, of, of engagement with society. But anyway, I just thought it was fascinating that there's an intellectual side of Jesus. And it did challenge me because I think if you had asked me, like, because Jesus seems so ethereal and distant, like higher, uh, th- his, but his words were engaging. That's what the parables are about. He's engaging. I wouldn't have said, oh, yeah, he's br- I mean, it's obvious that God is brilliant. But I wouldn't have taken the Son of God, who is God incarnate, to say, wow, there's such intellectual meat in all these things he's saying. Because it's almost like in a mysterious place instead of in an intellectual place. And well, I and we don't, like, to be in both. we don't like mystery. Yeah. I mean, just in general. But, um, see, I don't know. I, I guess I've never really had that particular thought process. But I also um, am probably more engaged with some people who are really pushing kind of at the the edges of some things to say, hey, you know, like 
the whole what would Jesus do like isn't really a catchphrase like it's not right. some kitschy little slogan like literally what would the man who was I mean a brilliant thinker and who broke things down in a way that people could understand but he spent his time in the margins and on the fringes because he was about the business of social upheaval in a way that we can't really understand and I think we're grappling with in incredible ways right now because I think it's it's creating um, discomfort in the church which is not always a bad thing. Right. Um, I think that we have to have both in the church, politically, in every aspect, we have to have people on both sides that are willing to push at the edges and and pick at the boundaries because then what that does is cause us to move to the center. And I think that, you know, especially not really as much in the church, but even politically right now, we're at such polar opposites mm-hmm. that, that the moderate, the mainstream, the the more middle of the road thought and conversation and um, opinion is just kind of lost in, in the middle of the shouting well, from, the, most from the edges. Thing, yeah, the most offensive thing to be right now is moderate. Yeah. Like to act to, to try to understand both sides offends both sides. Yeah. Well, we live in an outrage culture. I mean, there's no doubt about that. And people are, um, for the most part, very, very unwilling to dig into nuance and mm-hmm. minutia and to really, again, look at things for what they are without. The emotion, and as somebody who comes at everything from emotion, that is sometimes really difficult for me. So, one of the things that I'm doing, and part of it is out of the Enneagram work that I'm doing, um, because I am a two, and one of the things that people kind of say is like twos, they say every number has, you know, like, um, a superpower, basically. And one of my superpowers is that I can walk in pretty much any room mm-hmm. and I can immediately feel and know true. what a lot of people are either thinking, going through, dealing with, whatever. That's sometimes a lot to take in yeah. personally. Uh, but what that causes me to do sometimes is to either over-identify or under-identify with certain individuals. And so then what I have to ask myself is why? If I think this way or if I think that way, why? Is there something in me, conscious or unconscious, that causes me to think this way? And if it makes me uncomfortable, Hmm. why is it making me uncomfortable? And if I dig into the why more, I think that's where really good positive growth can happen, and I think that that's something that, if I had one like wish for everybody, is that if something makes you uncomfortable or gives you a really big reaction, that's telling you something. You know, I and I can't remember the exact expression, but like, and I don't know if it was a psychologist or a sociologist, but talks about how. Like your tears mean something mm-hmm. in that if something elicits an emotional response for, from you, there is a distinct reason why either emotionally, physiologically, something is going on. So you, our tears are instructive. I would say that all of our emotions are instructive. Mm. And if they're, if they're supposed to be instructive, are we stopping long enough to listen? Yeah. And, wow. and to think through those things. So no, that's, and I think you're right. I doubt that we do stop long enough. I mean, in, in the modern age, you either learn to cope, you learn to cover up, you learn to move past. Yep. Um, you know, we we talk about it all the time. Like, if this keeps, if this continues to be an emotional reaction, then at some point in time, you should probably deal, try to figure out why. Right. And we don't want to do that. Like, we don't want to stop and be alone. With those thoughts, or or uh, you know, open up that the, the lid to whatever that might be out of. Well, we're even trying to do that. Like gives like give Sadie language. Mm-hmm. Like if you're having a big emotional reaction, stop and let's actually try to verbalize 
what it is that's giving you this reaction. Yeah. A lot of times it's just emotion for emotion's sake, but there's a thought process that behind it. Well, this made me angry or this made me sad or, you know, whatever the case may be. It can even be I'm happy about this or whatever. But stop and actually give words to the emotion. Right. And that sounds almost humanistic to some people. But when you think about the Psalms, that's the entire book. And it's probably one of the most transformative well, who knew in the world experiences. That we gave us these emotions. Right. I mean, if you look at all the distinct, even if you just start breaking down the names of God and stuff, there's so many elements to his personality and to his character and those things. I mean, and Jesus being the full embodiment of all human yet all divinity, yeah. we see times of anger. Think about when he turned over the tables in the temple. We have distinct times when he wept. I mean, there were times when it talks about him being tired and going to sleep. I mean, there's all those emotions are there. So for us to just treat emotion like, oh, don't, you know, that's flowery. Don't deal with it or whatever. Right. He's going to deal with you eventually. Yeah. And that's the thing. It, it's coming. If you do not deal with it, even if you go to your grave not dealing with it, it, it there probably was a negative or an unhealthy pattern in your life that you just were disciplined enough to keep in, intact. Well, and a lot <laughs> that, of times it's even stuff that we're unaware of. So. Right. And, you know, I think that's, you know, that willingness. You know, we, th- we talk about, I think sometimes people are afraid. You were talking. I think when we start talking about, oh, man, you know, getting into all those places, it almost feels like we're trying to remove the floor and go deeper and it makes people feel unstable like that they've lost what they stand on you know if, if i start messing with everything and that can be very true yeah, for some people it is that it can and we have a lot of friends in in the recovery ministry right now you know and they talk about that like they're in the middle of some really difficult things they're they're doing the a part of it called inventory right, right now uh where they're really really writing down i mean man you know and and I think that's the great thing, though, about coming to it from recovery from a faith perspective is even if you literally have to tear up the floor, Christ is still the foundation. And that part is still stable, even when everything else around it is in upheaval. And I think that if you can come at things with that assurance, then it makes it totally different. Like all things, I don't see how people... um, you know, necessarily come at things without the lens of faith because it just would find it more difficult. No, and I agree with you. I think, I think that for those who struggle and even intellectually with God, that man, my, it, I have found Jesus to be just as true as before when I was young. In fact, I have more confidence and it's not, and you got to be careful there. You know, it's not like, Oh, I found all the answers you know, oh no! But I did find that there was a lot more. I think we we just tend to. It goes back to the eye roll type thing. We just tend to go, oh, um, well, that's hard to believe. And I heard somebody on Instagram say something that was a pretty was pretty cl- intelligent and clever, you know, and it was a good point. And so, but we don't want to do the work to see if there is an intelligent Christian clever viewpoint to that. And maybe what they're saying is true, and that the way we've been doing Christianity or church actually to their point is wrong. You know, and that it's time for reform, or it's time for us to take a look. I mean, the, you, you, we look at it. We can we can blame. I, I, I think it was um, oh, what author was I reading that he was talking about how you can talk about. I think it was Alan Noble, and he talked about you know, hey, the the Crusades or the Inquisition or all of these atrocities in in the church history that we can say, see, that's how we can tell. And he's like, he made the point like, yeah, in their time that still God raised up people who said, no, this is not the right. way this was wrong. And that, that they brought like, it doesn't matter whether the people in charge were doing it wrongly or not. The fact that those who saw it being done wrong, were willing to speak up even to the point of death. Sometimes right. it lets us understand that there was a true core of Christianity that at its core was the same as it had always been and was right. It just, it just was taken down the wrong path by the wrong people at the wrong time. Right. And it always returns to that center. We don't, we don't have, you know, that. And when we do, we have to continue to call it out. So speaking of uh, calling things out, I think we got to call one more thing out. Oh dear. Do you want to tell what you did at dinner this week? So we went out to dinner with some really, really good (laughs) friends and, um, you know, it was, it was like a, it was amazing. We went to eat sushi. We came off the keto train. 
uh, for now, we've been on keto for how long? Almost, I mean, it's going on a year in October. Yeah, a year in October. Yeah. yeah. So this is, this is almost August. And, uh, but we had our friend, Matt Stewart, who had, he was turning 40. And happy so, birthday. Happy birthday, Matt. Don't look a day over 39 to me. And so we decided. <laughs> Actually, like two days over 39, but whatever. I have a couple really cheesy dad jokes for birthdays, I'll always say. It's that one. And then, it's, you know, just yesterday you were 39, the day of their birthday. Anywho, uh, so we went to Mori Mori in Mount Julia. If you're a Mount Julia listener, dude, you got to check out Mori Mori. Like, in terms of sushi. Not a sponsor. Not a sponsor, but we would take it. The free sushi. <laughs> I don't even want money. Just send the sushi. Uh, that's like a t-shirt we can make. Send yep. the sushi. And so we went in and ate and everything. And then we started talking about the fact that a, there is a there is a sequel, like what, from 30 years ago? How long has it been now? Oh, wow. Yeah. I guess it would be like 30. Yeah, like 30 years later, Top Gun is making a sequel finally called Maverick, Top Gun Maverick. And, and it's got Tom Cruise in it. And, and supposedly Val Kilmer, though... I don't we didn't see him in the trailer. I don't think he's been in the best of health. Like, I, I, no, I, that's unfortunate. And he wasn't in the best of fitness in some of the other movies I saw because he, you know, I know your favorite scene is the volleyball court. I never said that. Did he remind you what Jesus said in the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, about lusting in your heart? I never said mm-hmm. that was my favorite scene. Okay. You didn't say it on the podcast. I think you've said it before. I don't think I've ever said that, actually. Well, it's just your favorite movie, and I think we all know why. I think we all... Do you want to confess? I went into the big, long explanation of why it's my favorite movie, which is where this whole story's going. So Laura's talking through, like, why Top Gun is her favorite movie, and then she goes, and I don't want to hear it, that I'm long-winded or that I (laughs) meander down different trails. She went off to her whole childhood experience in Oklahoma. And and can I just tell all the things, or do you want to tell it? I'm afraid we only have, like, five minutes left. No, it's not, I mean, a story worth retelling. The... The reason I like Top Gun is because we didn't have cable when I grew up in Oklahoma, but we had some circumstances where we were moving to Tennessee, let us... Cable? You barely had running water, apparently. (laughs) Well, we did have a party. We did have a party line when we first moved in, and we did have like an open septic system that drained into, I don't know. Anywho... A poop lagoon is what I call it. She had a poop lagoon in her backyard. Anyway, we had to move into town, like into town, meaning into a town of like 5,000 people in rural central Oklahoma. Um, And we finally had cable access. And at one point in time, Top Gun was the movie of the month, which meant they showed it every day. So it was just like the first time I'd ever had like any exposure to a movie over and over again. But anyway... Poor Matt. All he wanted to know was, did I like Top Gun? She's 20 minutes in. She looks up and goes, uh. I went into this and and Matt goes, all I wanted to know was, did you like the movie? How does this poop lagoon go into Top Gun? It's just been a running joke between our two families for about a week now. So anyway, yes, sometimes I am meandering and long-winded. I was trying to tell a poignant childhood story but at one point i literally heard myself and i thought pungent this is the most ridiculous like i I don't know like it's like word vomit like it just keeps coming i think it was just childhood association like you i don't know you had all these memories and all these things maybe it was just the rice i haven't had carbs in (laughs) nine months she got over carbed (laughs) at the table but his face speed God, it was so great seeing his face like, I don't make the connection. Can I get you a flight coming back from Chicago? Uh, it was so funny. But we had hey, we had good sushi. We didn't get sick. No. Nope. Uh, we had a good time. Yep. So it was great. Yeah. Uh, I am proud. I am proud of you. You've been on keto for so long. And I followed you into this, much like I follow you in everything. I followed you in the Enneagram. You just need me to make the decision because your committee won't allow I don't it. like making decisions in restaurants. Like, I think those are I harder. just ordered for us because I yeah. knew what was coming. Yeah. And then she kind of, this is like, this is like me complaining about the dog. You complain about me, but you love being in charge. So, oh, yeah. Well, it's ordering. easier just to make the yeah. decision. It's like I look at you and you're like, what are you going to get? I was like, I don't know. Why don't you pick the top two things you want? Order it and I'll order the second one. And then we're <laughs> all happy because what's going to happen is the plate's going to come. I'm going to order something and I'm going to miss out on the best thing that you knew because you have like this better mind than me. And then your <laughs> plate's going to look better than mine. And I'm going to feel like that this meal wasn't as good as it could have been. And I'm going to have FOMO. And so it'll be better for you just to, <laughs> pick the top, just to pick the top two things, you know. And then you're like, well, you can't make a decision for yourself. Self, you know, and I'm like, hey, you love being in charge. Why are we doing this dance? You know, like just pick. And you did, and it was great. 
Because so. we're good dance partners. Yeah. Well, you're a good dancer. I don't really do. I, I don't know. Do you think we should I learn how to dance or is it too late? I think it's too late at this point, honey. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just give it up. Yeah, just going to give it up. So we appreciate you dancing with us this episode. It was awesome uh, having you guys listen in on a different kind of talk than we get to have. But I always love having you on. I They're love probably it. like, this was terrible. No, it was wonderful. And uh, I, it, it, I think a lot of our female listeners, they really love it having you on. And we really do. We have a spike in uh, downloads. That's why we need you to come on more. That's because I just go download it over and over and over and over and over again. Yeah, it's just me. (laughs) Laura is hiring all those bots that Johnny is all paranoid about. Oh, Johnny and his hack. That was terrible. He lost his whole Instagram account. Got a hack. I can't believe you couldn't get it back. Go follow him. Yeah, follow Johnny W uh, on Instagram and uh, get your friends too because he really is hilarious. And he's not on air. We can brag about him. Like, Johnny is a special kind of talent. He really is. Uh, And he's got also such a, a, a deep and amazing mind and other other areas as well besides just comedy but what we really do are we, we're proud of him and appreciate what he does and uh, we had a good time having Marty Simpson on last week had a great time having you on this week and uh, it's just all around uh, and a joy to get to discuss things that matter with people and that you get to listen to it means a lot to us you could do a lot of things with this hour right now I understand that and you chose to to spend it with us hopefully you're multitasking because that's the way I do podcast um, while you're putting on your makeup we're in your yeah. ears while you're vacuuming we're in your ears while you're on your commute we're in your ears man my wife guys does podcasts like on an epic like every day is a binge for her like you she always has one ear in listening to something which i don't we talk about that i have to have music like i need that's what's so funny you're the person who starts with emotions and I'm the person that starts with my mind, but too much with my mind, I can't do it. And I need, I need music to access that emotional place every day. Like I, I can't, but you would just spend all day doing intellectual things and it would be great for you. But I, I have a, I have a limit. I have to have music. So isn't that funny? True. Cause you don't really care for music anymore. Uh, well, I mean, I don't know that I don't care for it. I find music more distracting than listening to people talk. I don't know why. Maybe it's because I talk a lot. Uh, I don't know. But send me your podcast recommendations on Facebook, on Instagram. Text me. Send me your podcast recommendations. Yeah. And send somebody else a recommendation for this podcast. That's a good idea. I was actually reading. uh, We have a lot of good reviews right now. A lot of good people um, saying a lot of good things about talk about that. So appreciate you guys doing that. And every one of those helps us so much. So we we just uh, continue to try to move this thing into a place where we can uh, keep having ridiculous fun conversations in front of people so let your friends your family know about it and we will look forward to talking with you again next time on talk about that two weeks old in an iron lung which is you know like a sealed oxygen unit uh, fighting for my life I couldn't I couldn't breathe properly I, and apparently I didn't make a sound um, from the day I was born because my lungs were all messed up that's Martin Smith of Delirious sharing a personal testimony on The Walk a podcast for worshippers join us weekly to hear songwriters worship leaders filmmakers and other creatives tell stories in the form of a devotional The Walk can be found on lifeaudio.com or your favorite podcast platform